that's what we trained people to do. We train people how to tell their stories effectively to change hearts and minds. So whether it's in writing or on stage at a conference with 3000 people or in a sales pitch one-on-one, I'm telling a story. Now telling stories doesn't mean telling lies. It means telling you a specific piece of information to make you think differently about the world. Hello, this is the Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. My guest today is Jamie McGonigal. He is vice president for sales at Impactive, formerly Outvote. Impactive provides software as a service for relational organizing, peer-to-peer texting, broadcast texting, and phone banking as an organizing hub to progressive clients. If you're curious, the founder of Impactive, Nassim Makaya, was previously on this podcast back at episode 238. The company has grown a lot since then, renaming itself and providing their tools to many other clients, including the Biden campaign in 2020. Jamie joined in the beginning of that year to start and build out a sales team and has a good story about how he went from acting and voice work into politics. If you follow the progressive political technology space or are interested in organizing tools, you should listen. So after a quick word from our sponsor, my interview with Jamie McGonigal at Impactive. This episode is brought to you by Graphicacy. Graphicacy is an analytic design firm that can help you advance the mission of your organization using your own real data and information. They are 21st century visual communicators who create interactive graphics, motion graphics, and data visualizations. You can find Graphicacy at graphicacy.com. That is G-R-A-P-H-I-C-A-C-Y.com. With Graphicacy's help, you can visualize a better world. Jamie, would you mind introducing yourself and giving me a quick biography? (laughs) There's nothing quick about my biography, Um, (laughs) uh, but I am Jamie McGonigal. I'm a gay dad and I live in Hyattsville, Maryland, right outside DC, and I'm the VP of sales for Impactive. Where'd you grow up? I grew up on the South Shore of Massachusetts. What kind of family? A single mom, divorced parents, uh, two brothers I grew up with. I graduated from Marshfield High School. I was gay kid who loved musicals, who found a uh, community there. I started doing musicals when I was 10 years old uh, and loved it. It was this world that I could not only belong to, but kind of own. All the other boys were into sports. And uh, I remember in, I want to say it was fifth grade or sixth grade, we had to do some sort of biographical report on anyone we chose. All the boys were like, Babe Ruth, Abe Lincoln. And I'm like, Ava Perone. Uh, so I probably could have figured it out <laughs> early on. When I was doing reports on Avita in sixth grade. Um, but yeah, uh, so yeah, grew up gay. Also grew up very politically involved. My mom worked on Gary Studd's campaign in Massachusetts, who was the first out uh, congressman. And so I was, you know, handing out political flyers when I was five or six years old. I just have always kind of had it in my blood. My my grandfather started some of the first unions in Massachusetts. They came here to spread the word of socialism from Scotland. Uh, I, I have an uncle whose birth name is Karl Marx McGonagall. 
Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it, it runs deep. <laughs> And so does the political ad against you, it sounds like. I know, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I noticed that you went to Bridgewater State College. I sure did. Yeah. Tell me about that. Uh, a small state school in Massachusetts, what uh, my family could afford and slash what I still haven't paid off <laughs> now that I'm 46. <laughs> here we are. Yay. Really? Still still paying that yeah, off? Yeah. Well, I worked as an actor for a really long time in New York and had no <laughs> income. So that'll do that. Um, yeah, but yeah, I but went that's there. a long time. Yeah, I went there for theater yeah. um, and graduated with a theater degree, moved to New York uh, pretty much right after college and did theater for a long time. I acted for a long time. I uh, paid bills doing voices for cartoons like Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! And then started producing these Broadway concerts. And that's kind of what I became known for in New York. I uh, loved uh, new musical theater songs by new writers and was constantly singing them in these workshops. And then someone asked me to put together a concert uh, of new songs by new musical theater writers. And I did it. And then people were like, when are you going to do the next one? I was like, what do you mean? I have to do another one. Uh, and then I started doing these big annual concerts for World AIDS Day that started seeing me a little bit more politically involved because there was a challenge there uh, that needed to be met. And um, one of the organizations I did a benefit for uh, was a summer camp for inner city teens with HIV and AIDS. They ended up asking me to be on the board and then shortly thereafter asked me to run the summer camp. I knew nothing about this, but here I am in the woods with a bunch of inner city teens. That was pretty life-changing. And then shortly after that, someone invited me to a dinner at the UN and they were there to ask me to help run a, a program with the UNA uh, going to Africa, the Hero Campaign, it was called, where we brought 30 American teenagers over to help in rural AIDS-affected communities. That was even more life-changing. And I came back from that, uh, and I was like, I love musicals still, uh, but I feel like I should be doing something else uh, with a little bit more impact. And... Um, yeah, that's that's where the political career was born. Prop 8 was happening about then in California, and I got heavily involved in LGBTQ organizing, started a, um, a blog, uh, and that ended up being how I met my husband uh, when I was organizing a rally in D.C. It looks like you did. Vo you continue to do voice maybe until very recently, or are you still doing? I still do it here and there. Um, obviously, during the pandemic, I don't get back and forth to New York very often. But um, uh, but yeah, I did. I I still you know when I go to New York, I'll pop in the studio and see if they have anything for me. Uh, I don't have a home studio here, but um, working on that. Uh, but yeah, it's the voiceover stuff has been really, really fun. Um, let me see a lot of the, the country because I'd go to conferences and, and conventions all over the place. I still use it. It's still very fun. Uh, it still gets me a little bit of notoriety. I was at <laughs> the, the town next to me does a townwide yard sale that just happened on Saturday. There was a kid, he was probably 13 or 14, selling all his Pokemon stuff. And I was like, oh, you're a Pokemon fan. He's go he goes, yeah, yeah, I love it. It's my favorite thing. I was like, have you ever watched the cartoon? And he goes, yeah, I, of course I've seen the cartoon. So do you know who Barry is? He goes, yeah, Barry's my favorite. I go, are you sure? Which character? What do you, what does he look like? <laughs> the blonde kid. And I was like, yeah. I go, does he sound kind of like this? And he goes, yeah, you sound just like him. I go, that's because I am him. And he lost it. He ran in, got me, got a card with my picture on it. And I autographed it for him. It's still fun. and provides me a little fame here and there. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Well, 
How did you get connected to the new organizing institute and what did you do there? Uh, great question. Um, I was, uh, I'd met my husband in May of 2010. Uh, I was handing out flyers at gay bars uh, for a Don't Ask, Don't Tell rally I was organizing. He came up to me, he said, you're not from here, are you? I said, how can you tell? He said, you're carrying a big game Metro DC map. And I was like, that's a good tell. Uh, he spent the rest of the night handing out flyers with me and the rest is history. Uh, but a little later that year, we were both in a place where we were looked like our, our arts careers were kind of burgeoning into something else. He heard about this training for, it was a, a called a new media training at the New Organizing Institute. And we both applied, we both got accepted and it was like a, a one week intensive. They called it a new media boot camp. Um, and then basically we had a deal about a year into our relationship that if he got a job in DC in politics, then I'd come down here. And if I got a job or if he got a job in New York, he'd come up there. Uh, he got a job in DC working for family equality council at the time. And I moved down here, uh, and I reached out to NOI. I applied for like three or four different jobs there, uh, before I got one. Um, they were all jobs I was not right for, but then they hired me as a fellow, um, and they, uh, put me in charge of Roots Camp, uh, which was this big conference for, for, uh, organizers. And I ran that for, I think four or five years with them, but yeah, I, I ended up being their community director, which was a blast. It, it folded, uh, a couple of years back, but, um, I still feel like it's a, a space that, that progressive organizers are missing a great deal of in DC. Yeah, I do too. It's somehow a hole that hasn't been filled. I've been to a number of those roots camps also, the unconferences, right? Yeah, where you go and propose a panel rather than go to show up and f find a set of them already made. Yeah, I ran yeah. those from like 2011 to like 2015. It was a blast. It was a very formative time in my political career. And I've always enjoyed uh, pulling people together like finding ways for folks to come together and find community. And it started, I think, really when I was a kid, when I didn't feel like I had any community because I was into musicals and everyone else was into sports. Um, and I was gay and everyone else was straight, or at least that's what they thought. Um, but I, years later now, I still find that, you know, the thing that gives me the most happiness, the most joy is finding places for other people to feel like they belong to a community. And I think that's what I got out of NOI in a lot of ways. And I think, again, that's something that, that people are missing. Not just the training, obviously, NOI provided extraordinary training and that some of those holes have been filled in the space, but we don't have that kind of home for digital organizers or for data organizers in, in progressive politics. Um, I remember towards the end of NOI, we lost a, a good friend who was in the space and we had no idea what to do. He was uh, uh, really at the heart of a lot of organizing for a lot of folks. People just decided NOI was where they needed to go. And so we ended up doing a makeshift memorial at NOI that night. Um, because Who was that? Uh, Javi. Do you remember Javi? Uh, I don't know if I do. Yeah, he was uh, just great. Sweetheart guy. Yeah. Um, uh, but, um, but yeah, so that's again, like, where do you go in moments like that, where you just need to find community and you don't want to go to a bar, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So you've got, it's a pretty good introduction to sort of the progressive ecosystem and tech tech's place in that, um, good background for what you do now. How would you characterize that world that you were part of from that angle? Um, that's a really good question. How do I characterize it? Um, I, I think it's it's still rooted in community and and 
uh, people finding one another to share uh, to share common goals, to share common uh, beliefs and and values. Um, and uh, obviously, like political tech is something different in that you know there's a a capitalism angle, right? There's there's part of this that you know we're in it to make money. We're in it because there's there's a profit to be made. Um, that being said, like I, the company I work for, Impactive, we've always been really rooted in values. Yes, we make money doing this. Um, uh, at the end of the day, though, uh, like we're we're only working with people who have have shared values. Uh, we're working with people who we want to actually help. And we've always adjusted our prices. We're like, well, you know, this person running for a school committee in Dubuque can't possibly afford you know, $300 a month or whatever it was at the time. We're like, let's drop it. Let's make sure this is affordable to everyone, you know? And that's kind of been at the core of what we've been wanting to do from the beginning, which is uh, democratizing the tool a little bit, making sure that these tools that were built around a presidential election uh, and innovated around a presidential election can still benefit people who are running for mosquito board somewhere. Community is at the core of it still for me. Values is at the core of it. I've worked for a lot of companies that just have, frankly, shitty values. Or uh, they're really good at writing down great values, but never actually live by them, right? A lot of progressive organizations as well do that. You know, they're they're great at saying they do a thing and telling everyone else they're supposed to do a thing, but really bad at living it. But this company that I work for, which is one of the first like real, real for-profit companies I've worked for as an adult, lives better values than a lot of the nonprofits I've worked with whether it be the actual impetus of, of uh, living those values. But um, uh, like our employment situation is great. Like we, we have uh, unlimited time off, right? Unlimited, unlimited PTO, which is rare. And sometimes like a lot of people would say, that's a cop out because you have unlimited PTO and uh, no one actually takes it. And there's still too much pressure to get the work done. Uh, but we've instituted another policy on top of that, that there's unlimited PTO, with a three week minimum. So like the end of the quarter, we check in with the COO and she's like, listen, this person on your team hasn't taken any time off. So make sure they take time off. You know, it's, it, I, I just find that uh, really cool. And and in progressive organization circles and groups I'm part of, they'll be like, hey, what are you doing about time off at your company? And I'm like, well, this is what we do. And everyone's like, that's the most progressive I've ever heard. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, and I'm at a for-profit company. But again, just like lived values, uh, I think is is really important. Long, long I interviewed Nassim, yeah. who was the founder back in 2018, when he was uh, earlier along the way than when you joined it. What was the, the situation with the company when you came on board and how did that come to you as a job? Um, it was, <laughs> I was at another job in between NOI and this, uh, working for a conference that was in California that was focused on, on impact investing. I never belonged there. It was not a space I wanted to be in. It paid the bills. Um, I worked with some nice people. I also worked with some not great people. I was looking for a job. I was desperate to get out because I was absolutely miserable. I was actually meeting with my new boss in New York. And I was like, I can't do another day of meetings with this person. They're eating my soul. They're a terrible, terrible human being. Um, and so I fired up LinkedIn. I see this this job posting. And I'd been like low-key looking for a while. And I noticed it was a HGL-backed uh, company. And I knew some people at HGL, reached out to some of them. They're like, no, you're perfect for this. This is great. I'm sending a recommendation right now. I was like, hold on, hold on. I don't even know what it is yet. Um, but very quickly, um, I applied for the job and, and uh, they moved me right into talking to Nassim because uh, of the, the people that I knew already. Um, 
and uh, yeah, I had a job pretty quickly. But uh, again, I didn't. I I'd never worked in political tech. I'd never worked in tech. Me and tech have never gotten along very well, despite the fact that I worked at NOI. But I started. How big was it when you started? I want to say we had maybe six or seven full time staff, uh, and then and then a bunch of consultants. Uh, but yeah, it was it was pretty small. I want to say like ten people total, including the consultants. The fir- my first week on the job, we had a retreat in Boston, uh, like the week before shutdown, when we didn't even know what was going on. I was like, oh, this is the whole team. And there's pictures of us. You know, there's like all ten or eleven of us. Um, but yeah, very very small. And then we grow grow and shrink depending on the the time of year and and the cycle, obviously. But yeah, it's it's grown pretty big. It's um, it's a great yeah. It's a it's a good company to work for, and I. I wouldn't say that if it wasn't true. Like I'm not the last company I worked for didn't like it. And I, I wouldn't do this sort of interview about them either. How big is it now? How many people? Um, I think full time we're about 18, 18 to 20, I think. Yeah. Starting to be a challenge to manage and to, to scale at that stage, a lot of people to talk to uh, and, people specializing much more than earlier. You are vice president for sales. Was there a sales team before? No. You know? <laughs> no I, was the, I was the first. It's a good way to get the vice president title, I've noticed. Yeah. <laughs> There's no one else. Yeah. You're going to be a salesperson. Uh, we don't have any boss for you. What? Um, oh, yeah. Was- VP, yes. So, I I used to run a political software company and I remember what it's like to start to put together a sales operation outside of the founder. And it's pretty important. And if you don't find the right person, you end up like losing faith that someone else can do it. For example, I've, I've seen that with other people that I've talked to in the entrepreneurial world. You're still there. You've grown a team. What were the moves that you had to make to get that to work. The first year it was still just me. We had, or we had, there was someone who was a consultant who was doing some part-time demos for us. We didn't hire up until my, the start of my second year um, uh, or today. Yeah. Start of my second year uh, at the beginning of 2021, I guess. Uh, so yeah, I, I had been uh, previously, my previous job, I was a business development director and I was also the only salesperson of the company. Um, uh, so, uh, looking at everything from, you know, having to figure out what the landscape looked like, uh, to really instituting tracking things as basic as, as, you know, figuring out Salesforce and, and, uh, getting software for that. I was out of the frying pan and into the fire, uh, or shot out of a cannon. As they say, I started at the beginning of 2020, um, when, uh, first of all, on the personal side of things, I had just been diagnosed with diabetes. I was having a lot of physical and emotional challenges while I was starting this job, trying to learn a new tool that I then had to be pitching to people. On top of that, we had uh, the pandemic uh, where we also, my husband and I also were suddenly uh, stay-at-home dads with a toddler at home that we had to be teaching. A lot of challenges. And again, the company was really, really great about being like, hey, you know what? No holds barred here. Right? We don't we don't know what's happening here. Just do your best. Um, the landscape, in addition, was looking for tools. Everyone needed something because their entire program turned from field organizing to digital. 
most of my first six months here was dealing with inbound, just people who who needed tools, needed them now, and how do they get them rolling? Um, we had a relational tool at the time, uh, so just relational organizing primarily, and had just kind of started dipping our toes in peer-to-peer texting. Um, and then over the course of that first year, once summer rolled around, we realized, okay, you know what, we need to start re-strategizing so that we're an organization that lasts in the off cycle as well. Right. Um, so that's where the impact of brand was born and where, where that, that we started thinking about making sure that, uh, other than just political campaigns, uh, could benefit from the tools that we offered. So uh, a lot more advocacy groups, the Planned Parenthoods, the SEIUs, um, uh, small and large, uh, could benefit from these relational tools as well as peer-to-peer tools. Uh, and and so we uh, realized that you know nonprofits also could could use these tools in, in great ways. So that's still where we're growing in a lot of ways, and we'll kind of restructure, not restructure, but reframe a little bit this summer once. A lot of the campaigns that are are, are uh, happening in 2022 have made most of their decisions for the most part. Uh, but yeah, it's it's over the course of time. You know, we've reframed. It's it's like any startup, right? Where uh, you got your your audience changes uh, in political startups. Obviously, your audience changes every two years, uh, sometimes every year if you're lucky. I think at the end of the day, it's it's uh, there's a lot of imposter syndrome because you have to realize everyone's making it up as they go along. Um, this space is still very, very new in the trajectory of, of organizing, especially relational organizing. Uh, it's still very, very new. Um, uh, so, uh, Impactive has, is the only tool out there that's actually done peer reviewed studies of what we do relationally. Uh, so that's been exciting to, to be part of, um, and also to push and say, Hey, you know what? Relational organizing is amazing. It's hard to do. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's so incredibly effective. We're proud that we've been part of that conversation kind of from the start. I've talked to founders of multiple relational organizing tools in the last five years, um, including Nassim, as I mentioned. I wonder how you see the competition over the time that you've been there, because there's been a lot of changes. Most of the others, not all of them, but have been acquired uh, into other political campaign software enterprises, you guys did something different. Tell me how you see that market for tools and the competition and how it's changed. That's a great question. Um, I think even some of the tools, some have folded, some have been acquired, some are still there growing. Over the course of time, there's... uh, there are some tools that are that are great and and uh, probably I, mean, I haven't used them all, but they haven't changed. They haven't innovated based on the previous you know year of elections or or campaigns they've run. What I like most about Impactive is that we continue to innovate. We continue to see you know not only what our clients need, but what the landscape needs, what general organizing is in in greater need of, whether it be integrations or just how the tool is used. Like we've we're very responsive to how our users use the tool. The reason I'm here is because I downloaded the tool when I saw that job description. I downloaded Outvote uh, and I figured out how to use it like that. And I'm someone with a flashing 12 o'clock on my VCR over here. So if I can figure it out, anyone can. So it really was that user friendliness that brought me on board. So that's always been a focus of, of every feature. 
Additionally, what we did is we took what was just a relational program uh, and said, hey, you know what? What we're seeing mostly in 2020 is campaigns having trouble with onboarding, volunteers. Getting them to download an app is a nightmare to begin with, right? Um, getting to them to download one, two, or three, or four apps for all the different actions you need them to take uh, is near impossible. So like, what would happen if they only had to download one app? And your admins only had to have one dashboard to look at all their data in. So we figured this made the most sense. Uh, and at first, it was a hard sell, honestly, like the the few campaigns that were running in 2021. Uh, people said, oh, we don't really need that. You know, we're fine the way we are. This year, like starting end of last year, uh, people starting to ramp up for 2022. People were coming to me like, I need this. I need something that's all in one that not only means like less time for me from the admin perspective, but less time training up volunteers. Like I, I only have to train them on one tool as opposed to four. Every time we are able to look at the landscape and where we've been and where we are now, every sign is pointing to us doing the right thing right now, whether it be, you know, the clients that we're bringing on or, um, or just, you know, how we're viewed in the landscape. Are you saying you think you're winning the competition among the relational tools uh, when compared to the other ones out there or who else is still contending? It's a interesting question because we're, uh, I've, I've spent a lot of my time kind of combating the idea that we're just a relational tool. So it started out that people would come to me and say, you know, I'm only here for relational. And I'm like, great, that's what we do. Uh, nowadays, you know, people come and, and say, hey, I'm looking for relational. I'm like, but what about this? The other side of that is people say, who are your competitors? And uh, uh, you must have no competitors because you're this all-in-one suite. I'm like, no, our competitors are everyone who offers one of these individual tools. At the end of the day, there's lots of competition in the space. I'll be honest. Like, it's we don't win every RFP that comes our way. We don't win every contract. No one would. So, but you're talking about like, so there's relational competition. There's texting competition. Yeah. There's there's phone banking competition. Yeah. Right. And so. Um, your advantages that you have all of those at the moment? Yeah, I, I as a salesperson, I see that as our biggest advantage. Um, and on top of that, uh, we do all of them really well. There's cases to be made for our for all of our tools, but you know, our dialer that we just launched, the phone banking tool, it's I've used most of the other phone banking tools out there as a volunteer, uh, and they're all pretty much very, very, very hard to use. Ours is, like I said, from the beginning, like with our relational tool, when I first downloaded it, I got it. Our phone banking tool is no different. It brings the ease of use of every other tool to phone banking. Uh, if you can do that in phone banking, I, I, you can do anything, right? Like phone banking is hard. The admin of it is hard, but the way our tool is set up just makes so much sense. What do you think the source of that is? You're watching the, the, other, the product and engineering side of this enterprise, I'm sure. If they're getting things right, why do you think they are? I think because they're thinking of things from a user perspective as opposed to always from an admin perspective, uh, right? Like, yes, the people that we're selling to are the admins, the people are that, who are going to have to run program. Uh, but our team is also thinking about what it looks like from your volunteer side. Uh, so I can't tell you that, I mean, there's been a very large number of campaigns or orgs that have come to me and said, uh, I don't know anything about you, but I had you know three volunteers on some campaign come to me and say they really wanted to use Impactive. What a great commercial, right? Because it's easy to use. If you know that your job's going to be easier as an admin because your tool is easy to train on, then great. That's a, another great pitch. When I talked to Nassim in the fall of the presidential election year, he wasn't ready 
or wasn't able to yet tell me publicly that Biden was using the the tool under another name. Um, tell me about that. Tell me about its use in the presidential and how that is, a, I assume, a selling point for you and, and your team. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was uh, what we did was we built a white label for them. So it was the Vote Joe app. They had a campaign app. Uh, I think it was called Team Joe. Um, and it it wasn't received very well. Uh, the campaign was still young, I think, from what I understand from people on it. They were even surprised when the nomination came along. So or when they saw that there was a, a clear winning path, I think everyone was at that point. Um, so there wasn't just a lot of time put into development of that app. But even the people who were developing it were like, yeah, this isn't great. Let's find something that's a lot more useful. Um, they were looking for it to be a relational tool in particular. Uh, so we dove in. Obviously, the process was a long one. There's a lot of security issues and everything else when you're you're on this. It's a feather in the cap of the company, yeah. for sure. And it, I, from what I heard, it's, it was well-received. Oh, yeah, very well-received. Um, yeah, they, yeah, they did a lot of texting. We loved that relationship. It was great. Now that we're past the presidential election, what kind of who's coming to you to use this? Like what what does the client base look like? I saw from I think from your LinkedIn that you're in the thousands of campaigns. Who's using it? We don't necessarily share every user, but there's uh, obviously the uh, uh, we're working with the DTRIP. They're offering it up to their congressional campaigns. And they had used a different relational tool last cycle. If I remember, yeah, we worked with them last cycle too. Wasn't the Tuesday company? Didn't they have a the the contested campaigns? I'm not sure. I know we worked with them. I don't know exactly because I think they signed almost before I got here uh, in 2020. We continue to work with SEIU and and uh, Planned Parenthood uh, and and really lots of others uh, up and down. I just signed um, someone who's running campaigns for uh, I think like 15 different uh, school board races in Missouri, uh, kind of up and down, really. I had heard through the grapevine that you guys raised money recently. Can you tell me anything about like about that and about sort of the stage of the company in those terms? Uh, I'm not in on those conversations, so I wouldn't really know. Okay. A bunch of new hiring of late? Um, yeah, we've done some, some a decent amount of hiring. Uh, obviously, just growing up for the election, I'm curious about your view on the broader political campaign software market. There's a lot of people who are building big suites of of product now, some overlapping with your offering like uh, PDI and uh, Helm and NGP Van is is out there still, uh, made some acquisitions and others. How do you see things shaping up and what do you see as impactive in all of that? I can't speak to a lot of the other tools. I haven't used them. Um, I can only kind of speak from my own experience. Uh, and um, so overall, I can say that the the <laughs> what, what happens when people come to me and they say, uh, you know, how do you compare with 
the competitors in this space. I don't like talking negatively about competitors. I think it's bad salesmanship, but I, I can say that, you know, of the other tools out there, we have a number of clients who've come to us after they've used them uh, and haven't been successful. I can say that we have large national organizations uh, and, you know, voter registration organizations and committees, state parties, et cetera, uh, who come to us and are, are back with us in 2022 after being with us in 2020 uh, because they had a great experience uh, and because they trust us. I mean, the dialer that we have, we launched because it was asked that we build it because previous dialers have failed. As we know, they're pretty well documented cases of that, but that happened because it was requested that we build it. Um, and so we built it and now it's being used already. We just launched it uh, a couple weeks ago. I think that uh, centrally focused, that, uh, um, that ability to have that all in one suite really is our, our strongest or our sweetest spot, if you will. All in one suite is, it's an elastic way of, thinking about things because there's always another kind of category of tool that can be added. There's a broad range of technology that can be used in campaigns that would be nice to integrate all together, canvassing and fundraising and compliance and other kinds of distributed campaigning and websites. I mean, you could go on for quite a while. Does that indicate an ambition or does that like indicate a path for you guys to just continually broaden this package, which seems to make some sense. Um, yeah, I mean the direction of the organization, I can't, I can't speak to because they're all things that we're still considering. We're continuing to develop and and uh, and make sure that the the campaigns we have on board now have excellent resources to them um, and making sure that the tools that we have are working extraordinarily well for them. Additionally, we focus a lot on our client strategies. So uh, I think a lot of tools out there, you have a, a customer service team you reach out to, they're really great at knowing how to use that tool. They know every button to push, right? They know that tool in and out. Our client strategies team, we have an average of, I think, 10 years of experience in the field. Uh, so they're people who don't just know the how to press the buttons, but they know why you need them. So they can actually strategize with you. They know the best use cases for each of these features. I think that's a, a place where we have an advantage. Additionally, like keeping that in mind, that helps us to develop our roadmap as well. So we we are hearing back, obviously, from clients saying, hey, I could really use this. This would be really helpful for me. And we innovate based on what our clients' needs are as opposed to, you know, hey, I had this great idea. Let's do this. We're not building things just for the sake of building them. We're building them because they're clearly needed in the space. Why does a campaign or other organization buy your tool? Like, what are they accomplishing in the world? What What's the impact of having your software at their disposal? Oh, it's funny because there's there's people who do come to us just for relational, right? And they start out that way. But what does that even mean, relational? What does what can they do if they have that category of tool? Yeah, I mean, if they if they have that relational tool, they can reach out to their friends or their their users can reach out to their friends. Uh, as I mentioned, we're the only tool that's actually done you know relational studies and finding that uh, you know that people are x amount of uh, x amount more likely to to GOTV if they uh, if they get a text from a friend or sign a petition or any number of things. They have a tool that they know has been tested, uh, whether it be our peer to peer tool or anything else. They have a tool that they know has been really successful for other, other folks. They also have a tool that's really easy to use um, for both their admins and their volunteers. So that's the first thing they're getting, right? Uh, they're getting 
uh, that plus our client strategies, uh, dedication and expertise. Um, the next thing they're getting is our ability to innovate, like what we've done over the past couple of years. Uh, I just did a demo recently, uh, just an hour ago, uh, for someone who used Outvote in the presidential in 2020, and they just wanted to see what the tool looked like now. It's uh, between the all-in-one suite, like the peer-to-peer texting, broadcasts, uh, the phone banking tool, relational. Is that broadcast email? Uh, SMS. So do you do broadcast email yet? Uh, no, we don't do broadcast email. Is that, that seems like a natural other communications it could be. Tool. It could yeah. be. We're not there yet. Uh, we yeah. haven't done a lot with email. The only email we have really is is focused on relational. So uh, since our tool is available both on web and mobile, uh, the difference between the two is that uh, obviously on your your mobile device you're doing texting friends, and in uh, the email version of it you're doing emailing. Um, but uh, yeah, the other the other thing I just state is that we're our peer to peer tools. Uh, they're they're ours. Uh, they're they're things. It's a tool that we built. Um, so we're not reliant on on you know other people's tools that were built outside the organization. We're not based on spoke. Our dialer was built completely in house. That was our solution to you know other dialers that have failed. Uh, I think a lot of other companies, when you when you call them and say, "Hey, my my dialer went down," uh, they're not the people who built it. They then have to reach out to whatever consultant or tech company built it for them. Sometimes wait a week before you have an answer to your question. So our engineers are all core part of of Impactive. So again, everything built in house that, that makes a really big difference. Have you run into organizing empowerment project? Uh, no, that's another relational tool, but it's built out of a nonprofit. And sort of an interesting, different model, and they're around and about also. Not you don't come up against them, huh? I haven't. I haven't in my experience. No. When you're out there making calls into this particular midterm cycle, which looks like a rough one for Democrats so far, unfortunately, what are you hearing? What is the political vibe that is coming across the phone conversations or Zoom conversations out there? The people I'm talking to are the people who are the doers. They're they're not the people who are uh, you know uh, analyzing every detail of the election and and where we're going to be at. They're people who need to get a job done. They're people who uh, are so nose down in the work um, uh, that they're just looking for the tool that's going to help them do that the most effectively. Um, so they're not in a place where they're like you know this could be a shitty year for us. They're in the place where they need our help. Um, and so we're doing everything we can to do that, whether it be, you know, making sure they have the lowest possible prices or the best possible access to all the tools they can possibly find. What I'm hearing, I mean, I'm sure I'm hearing all the things you're hearing from the talking heads, but at the end of the day, I know that my job is to, to, you know, sell people a tool and, and be part of their campaign or their, their advocacy work that gives them the most hope of, you know, winning what we need to win. What, what have you learned about building a successful political tech sales team? Like it's not, it hasn't been done that well that many times. If you were advising someone who was selling something else in the same market, not a competitor, perhaps, what are the secrets? I think at the end of the day, you have to look at your people as people first. 
Um, I think that's, I think with any, any tech company, right, you're, you're so focused on the zeros and the ones and every other number that people rarely realize that, you know what, uh, your team needs to be hopeful that they're going to close deals. They need to, um, uh, be focused on developing the relationships and they have to believe in the product. If I wanted to make better money, I could go, you know, sell houses or cars or something, but that my values aren't part of it. And when you're in political tech, you're not just selling a product, you're selling hope, you're selling your values. I love, you know, in sales pitches, talking about my team, talking about the, the people that I work with and bragging about them because they're incredible from the engineers to our marketing people to, to salespeople uh, and our CS team. I like people. I'm in this because I like people. I'm not in this because I want to make a million bucks. I'd be doing something else if I wanted to make a, a shit ton of money. There are people who've made good money in political software. You are in a for-profit world. It's not. Yeah, I can't deny that. <laughs> How much does the, do you think the theater training and all of those years doing that kind of communication, is that helpful in, in sales? Without a doubt. Yeah. Um, it's helpful in politics overall. Uh, right. I've been trained in how to tell stories effectively uh, and working at NOI. Like that's what we trained people to do. We train people how to tell their stories effectively to change hearts and minds. So whether it's in writing or on stage at a conference with 3000 people or in the sales pitch one on one, I'm telling a story. Now, telling stories doesn't mean telling lies. It means telling you a specific piece of information to make you think differently about the world. And so at NOI, one of my proudest things I did there uh, outside of Roots Camp was we organized a, a public narrative training for transgender organizers. And this is in, uh, God, 2013, 2014. Uh, we had 100 trans organizers in a room in New York for a week. Um, and it was pretty life-changing uh, and life-affirming for so many folks. Being there and and being realizing that, you know, I'm not a person who just knows how to tell my story, but I can help other people learn how to tell theirs. That was kind of a natural step into what I'm doing now. Like now I'm providing tools for folks to tell their stories effectively. All of it kind of ties together. I'll tell you my interview with this job, uh, the person who was the CMO at the time interviewed me and of the the 45 minute call we had about five minutes about it was was about outvote. The rest was about theater because she had a background in theater in New York, too. So we talked about her favorite musicals for 45 minutes. You know, we do live in a time where the battle between the two parties is so consequential for so many of those values and principles that that are contested in this kind of culture war and the fights in the states right now on everything things that you're that I that you seem to care so much about how does that play into the job for you and into the hiring and into the company culture uh 100% it's all of it um uh, in hiring obviously like i'm i'm looking at people who uh, want to be here because they care about the work and uh, in sales, even like I, I, we're looking at organizations that are doing really important work, whether it's off cycle or on cycle. Um, that's who we want to be working with. That's that's why we're here. I'd come up with an analogy, not an analogy, really, but like background when the DOMA hearings were happening. Uh, my husband and I were some of the organizers that organized the rallies outside SCOTUS. Um, and we talked a lot then about the fact that most people in jobs, uh, especially in for profits, they go home at the end of the day and hang their hat and spend the night with their family or playing video games or watching movies, and then that's done. As a gay dad, 
um, I don't get to do that. My job is my family and my life and protecting my family. So obviously with all this legislation happening in, in Texas and Florida and now everywhere else, um, I can't just put that away at the end of the day. That's because that's who I am. I am sure there's someone else out there who can, but it's not, it's not me. So I bring all that to everything I do. It's why I do what I do. It's why my husband does what he does. If what we did weren't based in our values, we'd be doing, doing something else entirely. How do you as a company set the boundaries on who you won't work with versus who you will? There are always somewhere a, a difficult call, right? So an independent running somewhere, a group that the unions don't like, but other progressives do. How do you figure that out? It's a case-by-case basis with some. 99% of our clients are people who uh, you know, fall directly into the left and, and we know we want to work with them. Um, there are other clients once in a great while that come along and say, Hey, you know what? I'm uh, not a Democrat, but I'm in a very, very red district. And I've, you know, been a Democrat my whole life. You know, that's something we have to look at. I wish I could say there's some like tried and true test that we have to give everyone. Um, but it just, it's not, that's not how it is. Unfortunately, it would make my job a lot easier if we could just say, you know, if you have a D next to your name, you're good. That's also not the case. You know, there's, there's uh, some Democrats out there who, uh, we may have challenges with, you never know. So really it is, it is a case by case basis. Is there a question about your, your career or the company that I haven't asked that you would like me to? I don't think so. I can't think of anything. Fair enough. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. And it's nice to get to know you a little bit. Anything else you want to say? Uh, I don't think so. I think uh, just message me if you want to hear more about Impactive. Jamie at Impactive.io. That was Jamie McGonigal. Jamie is at Impactive.io. This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with the Great Battlefield Podcast. You can find us at greatbattlefield.com or by searching for Great Battlefield in places where podcasts are found.